Hey guys, this is Alex and you are listening to Lunchbox Radio. So, um, thanks everybody who listened to everybody who listened to my weird experiment of a podcast um, last week where I just rambled on about a specific topic instead of a specific series. I've been thinking about it for a while. In between now and then, I got to watch... <sighs> The first episode of High School DxD Hero. It's just as terrible as it always was. In like a way that like I was like I don't know if I can watch this, and then couldn't look away and continued watching for the entire episode. And I, by the time the episode was done, it was like I entered a space time continuum, and. I just was like, what, what, I, like, I looked at the timestamp, I'm like, what just, what happened? I wasn't, was I sitting here, was I lying in bed for this long, watching this hot garbage? Yes, it did it again. It has done it for, like, an entire 24 episode run, plus some, and then it did it again. How does this show manage to do that to my brain? How does it manage to be like, hey... This teenager is real into titties, and all of a sudden, twenty-two minutes is gone. I, 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 I marvel at it every time. It, it is, it is doing something that those other shows don't do, and I, I just, I, you have to marvel at it a little, but also by the same point. There's not a lot to talk about with a show like High School DxD if you're not that impressed by kind of the the action-oriented parts of that show. And also there's not a lot to talk about outside of the nudity and titillation with shows like Queen's Blade and with shows like Second No Quasar and all that stuff. I mean, you can run down the list of the bizarre, insane, etchy shows. Um, but there is something to talk about with the, with the concept of etchy as a whole. Um, and of like, just barely staying out of hentai territory anime. Um, so I thought, hey, why not do a show about, like, etchy as a thing and what it means, and I'm happy some people listen to it. Um, I, in between then and now, I also participated in a fighting game competition for the Nintendo Switch game ARMS, which, if you haven't heard of it, go check it out on the internet. It's... It's it's the weird boxing game, what with the spring-loaded arms. It's the best way I can explain it. And I'm not terrible at that game, but I definitely didn't win any of my matches. So I've been practicing every day for the past week. I have a, another, the next tournament is in another week. So, wish me luck. Let's hope I don't suck at least as hard. Or, maybe, in my wildest dreams, win. That would be amazing. I don't want to win. I don't even really care if I win an entire round. Like, one match would be fan-flippantastic. Like, make people nervous. Now, granted, I already do that because people watch me and they're like, Oh, he's disabled. He's playing the game with one hand and he still annoys the shit out of everybody. Oh, God. Um, and then they play me and they realize that, yeah, doesn't actually matter. But hey, I, I, I have an intimidation to me in a way that is at the very least impressive. Um, but so that said, this week. We are talking about something completely in the opposite direction of things like High School DxD and those like shows that wrap their love for tits in a like outer coating of violence 
and we are, and that show is I would call it a classic. I don't know if other people would, but I would call it a classic. That show is Black Lagoon. have never seen Black Lagoon. Basically it is a it's produced by Studio Madhouse. Um it's originally written by Rie Hiro by Rie by Rie Hiro and um published by published by Shogakukan in Japan and Viz Media in um, America, but the anime itself is actually put out by, uh, was actually made by Madhouse, which is why it's probably on a lot of people's radar because Madhouse, they just do a really good job with anime adaptations of just about anything. I mean, give you an idea of some other Madhouse projects, um, Redline with a Madhouse project. And that's really all I need to see. If you've seen, say, if you've seen Redline, you're like, holy shit. Um, but lots of times, if you, like, look at a show and you're like, oh, that show is, like, really well done, you'll look at it and you'll be like, oh, Madhouse did this. I don't know why I'm surprised that's well done. But, anyway, what I really want to talk about with uh, Black Lagoon is kind of the honesty that's in it. The, the honesty and the truth that's in the show, because I think that that's really important. I think that a lot of entertainment seeks to... Tell people that, like, that, like, their feelings of, like, being trapped and all these other feelings that come along with dealing with modern life are okay, and they strive to be honest about those feelings, but they don't, they don't quite get there. They're, they're too worried about the kind of weird, um, societal trapping that people will, A, go back out into, and be the walk into like whatever viewing experience with. So recently, and I might put a clip of it right here, um, Childish Gambino's This Is America video dropped. Um, I mean, very recently, like a couple days ago. And in that video, this, there is this kind of like jovial chorus. In that song, even, there's that jovial chorus like not not paired but contrasted with a very like hard edgy sharp hip hop beat rap 
So it goes from like a very like ethereal sounding jovial thing to a very kind of almost grungy like hip hop main refrain. And in the video, the way they make those switches is almost always through gun violence. Now, a lot of people have like been whacking wing about what this means, but as somebody who has been alive for everything from Columbine to Parkland and all and everything in between and since and before it's it's striking how kind of accurate it is is that like our worlds are interrupted by these momentary slices of absolutely horrific violence and I don't worry I am going somewhere with this whole thought process we'll we'll get back to black Lagoon, I promise but then we just kind of like keep going on our way and we keep we just ignore it and we we are we, because we are capable of ignoring it because yes parkland happened but then you walk you go home and surely out of sometimes not wanting to think about it you end up sitting on your couch turning on your nintendo switch and playing God knows what, Legend of Zelda for four hours. And then the, and then for the, for that four hours the world fades away and you're in a fantasy world. You are by definition escaping the horrors of reality. But the horrors are still there, and the horrors are still very much real. And most mo- most entertainment that's attempting to be edgy tries to say, like, okay, the, the, the darkness is still just at the edge of the light, and the light is getting smaller, is the way I would think about it. Um, another thing that a, a thing that I've been watching recently is a show called Black Lightning. And Black Lightning is about a black superhero in a in what seems very much like a very a fictitious version of Chicago with all of the gang problems and the drug problems and the gun problems that go along with Chicago. And you come in on the story and you see that he has stopped being a superhero. He has built this very careful life for himself. Where, yes, he's still doing good for his community. And, yes, he's still, like, helping people and rescuing people and all that other stuff. But he has stopped truly protecting people because he believes, I can accomplish this without putting my life put, putting my life my loved one's life in and my loved one's life in danger and you begin to understand without that he also intends to do it without directly hurting people because by the end of episode 1 he's got the superhero costume on again and he's rescuing his own daughter from a brothel essentially, that they've been, like, kidnapped into. Um, but the problem is, but the thing that you're presented with at that point is that the way he deals with bad guys isn't just, like, Batman's stringing them up and you just, like, you get to an alleyway where bad shit was happening and all of a sudden there's a dude hanging upside down and maybe he has a black eye. No, these people are, like, ultra-tasered to near death. And, yes, they are, they are stopped and they are left alive, but the actual, like, experience of it is extremely violent in a really honest way. And it reminded me of that movie, um... 
oh, it's got Ellen Page in it, where they become vigil aunties, and I forget the name. It's got the guy from The Office in it, too, um, of where they become, who hates it when you call him that, by the way, which is really good. Um, I, they become vigil aunties, and Ellen Page becomes a violent maniac who <laughs> starts straight up, like, murdering people. Um, there's, there's another movie, there's another better-known movie, um, oh, fuck, I forget what it is, um, Kick-Ass, Kick-Ass, so, like, so, like, in, this is, like, the fantasy world of DC Comics, but combined with the reality of Kick-Ass, in that, like, you kind of feel bad for the bad guys. Because they get the shit chopped out of them. They get, like, just, like, electricity poured into their bodies by the megawatt. It looks painful. And then they just get dropped on a car. Or, like, smacked, or, like, curb stomped against the railing. Or any number of, like, terrible fucking things that happen to them. That, yes, they deserve, but you're still, like, oh, like... Like, you as a person rooting for the good guy, like, feeling really, like, oh, like, you, you just had to knock him out so the police could get him. You didn't have to hit him that hard. Um, but th that has an honesty about what it is to go after people with guns and, like, people who want to do bad shit. In reality, those people do not give up to somebody who shows up with, like, a battering and, like, a dream. They're not just gonna, like, be like, oh, they're gonna stare you down and, gu and gun in hand and, like, tell you to come get some, and you need to be ready for that. And if you're not ready for that, you're not ready to, like, do that job. And, yes, people who are math visual andes are a problem in the world, but they might have a little bit more courage than we're giving them credit for. And to loop it back around, what's really amazing about Black Lagoon is it a it very quickly poses there are no there are no good guys in this show. And when the show opens up, you're introduced to a guy named Rokuro Okajima. And he's just this, like, uh, your standard, nondescript, Japanese salaryman who is, like, he is the kind of national-slash-international gopher, it sounds like, or even, like, like in-office gopher for his company. And he, like, I think he describes himself as the head of the materials procurement division, at his company, and his company, for all intents and purposes, is a software manufacturer. But somehow he finds his way into a hostage situation with two with these three characters from the who end up being from the rest of the cast. A character named Dutch, who is one of the better big black dudes, not just in anime but in media on some level because he is just he's just a big black guy there is no there is no like attempt to like make him culturally black or like make him like hip-hoppy in any way his race is just incidental which is which as someone who is mixed race who is both black and white at the same time believe me i've seen the DNA reports at this point. Also, fun fact, there's some slave shit in my past. But, that's a story for another day. But, it's nice to see a black character who is just a person, and it doesn't feel like it needs to be... It doesn't feel like, it, with the exception of one instance, that it needs to be a defining trait. And even in that instance, that we'll get to, believe me, the defining trait is more of a defining trait 
that other people share and would, like, empathize with over the party that defined, that is trying to box him in. And even then, it's only a moment of that overarching thing. But the second character is a Chinese girl named, is a Chinese woman, that's really important, named Rebecca. I forget what, I forget what Rebecca's last name is, but she's called Revy for short. And then the last character is a guy named Benny, and Benny is this, like, Jewish Ivy League computer, Ivy League computer college grad dropout who essentially does all the, like, research and color commentary and stuff like that. He's, he's, a, he's a fun character for what he is. Um, and he does add to the cast. He does add personality, and he has his own storylines and all that stuff. But, so, already you have a really unique, diverse, from all over the world, from all walks of life cast. But... Which is in con, which is held in strict contrast to a lot of shows already that usually feature primarily Japanese cast with maybe one or two characters from usually America, maybe Mexico. If they want to be cruel, black characters are usually not treated well in anime. So this is already a really, really, really unique situation. Especially for the medium of anime. But then... It flips, the, it flips the script once again. You start... By the... By episode... I want to say two? By episode two, you realize that Rock might be a criminal mastermind himself. He gets them all out of a... Basically, a assassination plot involving the dead end mouth of a river and a, and a, a tactical military attack helicopter and a submarine. If you haven't seen the show, you're probably like, what, 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 what the fuck? But if you have seen the show, you're like, fuck yeah, he does. Fuck yeah, he gets them out of that in episode goddamn two. Um, but, the, so, that is the first glimpse you get of Rock as this menacing force, as this character who is able to outsmart the, not the, smarts of the of the quote-unquote criminal underworld. Um, but before episode two, you're greeted by a by the by the main setting of the show, which is almost a character in and of itself. The city that they all inhabit called Rowenapur. Now, I forget what fictional city it's based off of, but nearest I can tell, it's feels like a mix between Bangkok and um, almost places like Marrakesh or Fez or things like that. Um, but so when you enter this city, when you enter like the kind of port of this city, because it is a port town, you're greeted by a giant carved Buddha, which these are, these are real things and they were, and some of them were destroyed by the Taliban, actually. Um, but there are these giant carved Buddhist statues that are usually just in, like, the sides of mountains and shit. And I've never seen one in person, but they're supposed to be, like, amazing. But what's really unique about this one, about the symbolism of this one, especially for a Japanese show, um, where Buddhism has some meaning, has not just some meaning, but significant meaning, um, is... The Buddha is making the peace sign, the like peace hand gesture, which is like a a turned up palm with a slightly bent pinky, 
but his eye, but the Buddha's eyes have been like worn away by weathering, and he's facing out from the city. He's facing towards people coming into the city, and the way you kind of understand it after seeing the whole show is he can't judge anybody in that city because even if he wanted to look behind him, he couldn't. So nobody gives a shit. And Rowan Per is a is a is a crime is a city run by and for criminals, for bad people, for hustlers, for con artists, for mobsters, for triads, for Russian mobsters, for who, many of whom we will get to in time. But the so you so you kind of the narrative of the show takes Rock takes Rokuro, the main character who after episode two renames himself Rock, which makes it so much easier to deal with, and also it it strips the Japanese. It almost strips the Japanese away from the character for a period of time. It comes back later. It gets brought up from time to time, but it comes back later with a vengeance in what most people refer to as season two. But, um... It's... It's stripped away from him at, in the first season, which is really important because... The typical, like, trappings of ja of Japanese life, of even polite life. And I'm not talking about Japanese life. I'm talking about what people in polite society perceive to be okay is completely gone in this. There's a bar that, that, that you see them at at the first in the first in the first episode, or the first or second episode, I think the second episode. That is ca called the yellow flag, and that bar. It is very quickly understood. It's like shot up daily. <laughs> it's like knocked over. Like every time those characters are in that bar, somebody comes to find them and just fucking blows that bar to high heaven. <laughs> with either guns or bombs or whatever. And that bar is frequently the scene of, like, just dozens of people just straight up getting getting got hard. Either two times by French maids, by, um, one time by a militia, another time by... Tiny evil twins. I, it, it just, it's always, it's always just like on the brink of destruction. That place. And in fact, in the OVAs, for the entirety of the OVAs, the bar did not exist. The bar owner is just hanging out with ladies in a in an inflatable hot tub because he's like, I'm not even gonna have this thing rebuilt. There's no fucking point. Which is really great. But all of this, like, seediness and violence and corruption has an honesty to it. It's all, it all feels like it is understandable. It's not, it's not, let me put it this way. If you ever started a new job in a new office, you start to learn that job and office is politics. Like, who to say yes to, who to say no to, and when. And you adjust to that, and you adjust to how to please your boss, and you, the same way you adjusted to how to please your teacher, the same way in art school. When I was in art school, there were certain teachers that did and didn't like certain style, so you would adjust your style according to the teacher, like, one teacher wouldn't like one thing, but the other teacher would, so you would give the teacher A one thing, and teacher B a different thing, 
just so you could basically grade grub. But here, if you don't want to do something, you just say, fuck it. I don't want to do it. Leave me alone. Now, of course, people still need to work. People still need to make money. And in a, in a place like this, more than ever, because of nine different gang factions, they all have agreements with each other, and they all pay fucking... And you have to pay somebody protection money to, to keep existing. But uh, there's an honesty to it. There's an un, there's an under there's a way there's a there's a logical path you can follow to get to a conclusion. And for someone like Rock, that is both very new. You um. You, there's a scene, there's a scene specifically in episode 7, which we're going to talk a lot about, um, for reasons that if you know the show, you know why I'm going to talk about it, and B, um, it has a lot of great demonstrations of honesty and of a kind of dishonesty off that permeates the main female lead of this show, um, Revy, but... In episode 7, they're basically, they're running errands. They're delivering things. So, like, to one, to one person, they, to one person they deliver a shipment, they go and pick up a shipment of weapons. To the other person, they go and deliver a shipment of booze. Now, to that one, you enter a scenario where they're delivering booze to a brothel, to a a, to, to, from what I can understand, to a dominatrix specialist brothel. Meaning you don't have to want to go to get dominated or tie somebody up, but they know how to do that really well. And you meet this black guy named Rowan, and he's fabulous. He's this fabulous black pimp, like all of the 70s. It's really good. But Rock is just like, oh, no woman in this place, except for Revy, is wearing a top. What is happening? He doesn't know how to, like, hold himself in that situation. And that's because brothels and strip clubs and adult cinema and even things like Etchy, like we talked about last week, which you can totally go listen to the episode in this feed, just look for, like, the episode, the previous episode. Um are focus function on the essential honesty that like men like women that a lot of men like women and they like having sex with women. <laughs> that is a that is a like hard hard boiled essential fact. But it because we have a bunch of norms built around sex and relationships and all that stuff if you're going through the world in a place, even even a place that has such insane, such an insane relationship with sexuality like Japan, you got to remember all of their porn is censored. All of their like strip clubs are very unique things there, and it is very is a very real possibility that a guy would not have seen outside of a private context a naked woman. So he is just like, I don't, like, he knows how to deal with, he may know how to deal with, like, oh, this lady is naked in front of me right now. I know how to deal with it. I know how to be in this situation. But he doesn't know how to be in that situation without, with other people around. And, but Rowan and Revy's response is, uh, this guy, this guy is like f a fresh hire. Like he is, he is super new. But then you're switched to probably one of the best characters in the show, this Russian mob boss named Balalanka. And Balalanka is this like former Russian secret service paratrooper. And all of her, like, underlings are also, uh, were, like, her former underlings in the paratroopers. And they just kind of, like, 
walked out of one hierarchy and into another and became, like, one of the lead factions in the Russian mob in the world. And, but, hilariously enough, in that moment, she is somehow in charge editing porno. Which is, which is just the best, because you're introduced to her in episode one, and in episode, and in, I believe, episode three, you also see her, and you, they give you the, this very clear understanding that this lady is a bad bitch. She is like, she is fucking terrifying, and just her character design says it much, says it as much. She has a scar that goes from, like, the top, that goes from her left cheek, um, her left or right cheek, goes up diagonally across her right eye, up, wraps around her head, and wraps around her entire body, in like, and shows up in really unique ways, like it's on, like, the right side of her chest, and it's implied that the like a body length insane like system of scars that is just like on her at all times that 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 she earned that she got somehow in whatever war she was in in like Afghanistan or some insaneness. But she is like seen as this just this bad fucking bitch, and she is sitting there <laughs> just editing porno, and, like, the first line out of her mouth is like, oh, god damn it, I should have hired a freelancer to do this, I hate this, I feel the soul draining from my, from my body, and Revy's just like, oh, is she taking it in the ass? And she's like, yeah, she is, this sucks, and Rock still, like, he doesn't, he's never seen if he's, if he's Japanese, unedited porn, or he's seen it very rarely. Um, and so he's, like, also doesn't know how to respond to that, kind of just, like, A, the honesty of just unedited porn in front of him, just like, oh, whoa, whoa. And then this, the true honesty of, like, yeah, I'm the scary Russian mob, mob boss lady, but I also have to sit and edit fucking porn. But then, something, at this point, something interesting happens. Balanka says, somebody's been pushing drugs outside of the the agreed-upon routes. If you hear anything, could you let us know? And then they, and it's like, that's just set as a, a side, as a, and this, this show has... A tremendous amount of what I call, of what I'm going to call contextual world building. Meaning that they throw in little things that let you know this is a bad fucking place. And you're constantly seeing slices of how bad this motherfucking place is. But, you know, none of the characters happen to be real into meth. So, you know, you're not going to see anybody using meth. But, that's just put off on the side, and they're like, sure, whatever, and then they go to the Ripoff Church, which is a church that is also a underground arms dealer, and they meet with Sister Etta, and, forget, um, I think Hilda might be the, might be the badass nun's name, and this is an second this is the second time that you see this Hilda Hilda and um Revy get at some point get increasingly pissed off at each other because Revy is basically constantly hot tempered um especially in episode 7 and you see Rock just calmly do the kind of raw math of 
the of a the current situation and b the situation in the city as a whole and he puts all the puzzle pieces together in a really clear way and says look sister etta you know the russian mob's looking for who's dealing drugs i know it's you we're on friendly terms with them but we don't work for them now you're trying to like screw us on the charge for this one weapon for I think the grenade launcher is the the one that it is. If you do that, I'm gonna go to Belenka, rat you out. I don't think you want that. If you don't, we walk away and we never saw anything. And maybe you survive it. Maybe and may. And maybe they find out, maybe they don't. But we never saw... But we never realized anything. And he resolved the whole situation without even a single shot fired. And later on, later on in the universe of the show, that becomes kind of... His specialty is he is he manipulates the world. He manipulates not only the criminal underworld in in Ruanapur, but in Japan eventually to like bend in a way that he finds um not not accept that he finds acceptable. And that serves the best end for everybody. Now, the now all of this stuff is from episode seven, and the reason why episode seven is important is because from from about episode three to seven, there is a conflict going on between Revy and Rock. Now, later on in um. The OVAs, and by the way, if you haven't figured it out, spoiler alert, especially for this part. Later on in the OVAs, you find out that Rebecca is was sexually abused, like, constantly as a child. She was passed around as a little girl. And eventually snapped, shot the cop that was abusing her, and that's why she became this, like outlaw in the world. And she... So, she doesn't know how to process like, not just her emotions, but any kind of feeling of affection or of love or of anything other than pure virile rage, because she she certainly never got therapy. She never even got, like, the breathing room of being able to survive without extreme struggle since the day she was born, basically. Not basically, completely. And then you... So she has, in the way that she is, and she is extremely violent and extremely focused on money. And, but for Rock, someone who came out of a world that is solely focused on money and the only ambition there is to climb a ladder, not to get to the top, but just to get to the next rung up, up on the ladder, uh, that mindset seems empty, seems inauthentic. And it is because, it, you know... Revy is, Revy and all of these characters outside of Rock are pitched as being these ultra hard ass badasses, and Rock really he he clung to that because in the first in the first two episodes he was essentially thrown away by 
the life that he chose to lead. He chose to go to a good school, get a good job in a good in a good company, and that company threw his life away at the way he puts it to protect their expense accounts, their seat at the board the seat in the boardroom and their and their jobs. So when he sees a character when he sees a woman who you come to understand by the end of episode 7 that he deeply cares for and act only in the name of money, 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 money. He... It, it deeply disturbs him. And he... It, this is, um... Born out over the... Like, seriously born out over the... I'm going to call it the Nazi painting arc. Because this show, the one thing this show does is really well is it says, okay, these are bad people. But they're not the worst people. These are the... These are the Tony Sopranos of the world. These are not the Ma the Ma the um, Manson families of the world. So what that means is they are people who are just people, but they're not the most morally guided humans, shall we say? They they go through the world using their badassness or badness to enrich themselves and, you know, all this other stuff, and yet they do truly, despicably bad, awful things. But they're not monsters. And you, and every so often in this show, you encounter a monster. So, um, it, you encounter people who people perceive as monsters. And in the first instance of this, it is you encounter the Aryan race or the Aryan Socialist fucking Union. Now, if you know anything about me and you've seen my last name, you know that I'm at least part Jewish and I'm part black. So, you know, don't like the Nazis. But if anybody likes the Nazis, if anybody likes the Nazis in your life, you can just be like, ah, maybe fuck you. Because, like, the, the, the Nazis are a group like the KKK who is totally acceptable to be, ah, fuck the Nazis. And there's a scene in, there's a scene in that stretch of three episodes. I think it's, um, I don't think it's, I think it's, Four through six, or it might be. I think it's actually five through six. Is the is the um. Actually, I think it's four through six. I think I'm not crazy. I think it's four through six. It's the um. Is the Nazi? Is the like Nazi? Is the Nazi arc basically? It's a Nazi painting arc, and basically the gist of it is that a old SS asshole commissioned the Lagoon Company to go get a painting from a sunken submarine. They go get it, and they encounter another, a brigade, a boat of Nazi dickbags who are also trying to get the painting from the sub. And... Long story short, when Rock and Revy are in the sub, Revy tries to steal everything in sight. Rock's just like, you greedy bitch. You basically call her a greedy bitch. She flips out because she feels attacked by someone who she put, any tr who she put trust in. And the way you kind of know she put trust in him is... Actually, a kind of clever, funny, like, running gag. 
and she realized that she had done this once before, and the but the person just gave in, and it felt like it wasn't special enough for her to hold on to. So you find out later that um, actually I think you find out in episode six, or you find out in episode five, I think, um, in episode five or six that. Revy freaked out when they bought when Black when Dutch bought Benny on board, and in the first like two or three episodes, in the first three or four episodes of the show, Revy constantly tells Rock to wear this Hawaiian shirt that she bought him at the market, which is really funny because she just is like flaming fucking bitch towards him. For, like, 70% of the time. And she's like, why are you wearing that fucking shirt I got you in the market? In, like, a tone that is like, I'm gonna lop your head off, but, like, also a tone that is a very much, like, crossed girlfriend to her boyfriend tone. And by the last moment, of, by the last, like, like, by the last use of that gag, of that, like, mo of that thing, where he's just like, that thing's fucking ugly, no, and she's like, are you saying I have bad taste? You get the sense that she cares what, A, she cares what he thinks. B, she got him a gift. C, she wants him to use said gift. But their relationship goes so wrong because of her obsession with just surviving because that's all she knows how to do and his desire to see her be more than just the person who survives in the bad world but be a fort in the bad world for good or for whatever she believes in other than money that they basically get into a gun slash fist fight in the middle of a public square by the by the like tail end of episode seven. And this and it culminates with them kind of understanding each other and under and really be and both of them just not holding back and being for Revy it feels like for the first time truly honest verbal if verbally and this is important, they tell each other why they're, like, so pissed at each other and why they, like, are at each other's throats. And they have an honest conversation. And it... In that moment, the only glaring dishonesty in the show ends. And going forward, there is, for the rest of the first season, at, least, at the very least, there is this inherent honesty to the way the characters act towards each other. Revy becomes somewhat softer. Rock becomes somewhat softer towards her and her towards him, rather. Um, Dutch and Benny are... It's not, it's not like they're puzzle boxes, but it's not like they, they are really the main focus. Rock and Revy are really the... the they are the they are places kind of the romantic lead if that makes any sense and that is kind of hinted at for the first seven episodes and by the end of the seventh episode they have the kind of and I'll probably use it as an eye catch because I can't not they have the kind of on like kind of inspiring a little bit scene where they do a cigarette kiss. Where Rock uses his cigarette to light her cigarette in like while the cigarettes are in their mouths. And they the way they shoot it, the way they light it, the way they the soundtrack they put behind it, the conversation that they pair with it, it's very meant much meant to be a romantic scene. And it's it is a very romantic scene. You feel the characters real feelings of not just caring, but love for each other. 
and not like a and like everybody loves their family way. Like no, like this is a all of the fan fiction is correct kind of love. <clears throat> um, and later on, at the end of episode of season two, um, which is the Japanese Yakuza, which is essentially a Japanese Yakuza destruction arc, um, you are greeted to, like, a little extra scene where, um, Revy and Hilda are drinking at, like, in some ungodly hour in the church, and this is after Rock and Revy have, like, had to disappear for a while because they they pissed off some people hard. By some people, I mean Belenka. They pissed her off super hard. And Etta and um, Hilda goes, so did anything happen with Rock? And Rebby doesn't say it, but her reaction is very real and true to someone who doesn't know how to deal with the fact that she loves another person. In a, in a very... At, at least for the main show, there are these, like, extra, like, Black Lagoon extra segments where Rebby's, like, in a pink maid outfit and shit, which is really funny. Um, but... At least for the main show, it that moment is really the is the only moment in which that happens. You never see Revy embarrassed around Rock. You never see Revy embarrassed about her feelings around Rock. You never see anybody ask about it because nobody gives a shit. Like, yes, Dutch is like you guys have to get along. You have to work together. But he, but if they, as long as they get along. He doesn't necessarily care how well they get along. In fact, it's better if Revy genuinely cares about Rock and will protect him with her life because she, like, had the hots for him because then he... Rock can go do more progressively dangerous jobs, which eventually he does, and Revy just be like, I'm going with you because you'll die if I don't. <laughs> and I don't want you to die. Um, there's even a scene where they, they very clearly state, like, oh, these people, these two have probably seen each other naked at some point, or, it's like, they don't mind seeing each other naked, where Rock goes in to wake Rebby up, and just, like, it's just a shot, <laughs> from what I remember, like, straight up her ass and up her back, and you're like, oh, and it's... I, it's definitely a fan service shot, but it's not. It's meant as a fan service shot wrapped wrapped within a like a tone setting thing because it's meant to be like, oh, these guys live in the in the in the like in the southeast Pacific. It's boiling hot at all times. Of course she doesn't sleep with clothes on. He's literally just going in to wake her up. And he, and it's like, he's probably so straight-laced, he finds a way to sleep with clothes on. But Revy doesn't give a fuck. Also, this show does a great job of not doing what other shows do, which is... Um, a great example of it is actually Sword On Online in the second season of Sword Online, it is made plain and clear that Asuna is sexually abused. And then they continue to objectify her. And, like, that makes you feel really weird about it, but they don't ever have a conversation about that. They're just like, oh, isn't she sexy? Here's her nipple in this movie. And you're just like, dude, show, you tried to rape her. Um... But in Black Lagoon, they make it they make it very clear, like, yes, women are beautiful, and yes, these, these women are have a kind of, like, 
have sexuality to them. They're not like dead grandmas or something. But they, but all of the women in this show are like really, really strong personalities and character. And generally, when you encounter a woman in a show, in this show, it is like made instantly clear this person is not to be fucked with. And that is actually ultra true in the second season, and I know I'm running, like, into an hour now, but I really like this show. Um, but basically, in the second season, Revy and, Revy and Rock take a job translating as translators for Balanka in... Tokyo. And so they all go to Tokyo, and if you've ever seen a show like Jormungan or things like that, where you where you spend almost insanely little time in Japan, and it's an anime, you realize, oh, that's because the writer realized that this show couldn't go to Japan, because it, like, it has so much of some concept that it's not realistic. So in in Jormungan's case, that show is so violent that it could never happen in Japan. And the same is true of Black Lagoon. So when both shows go to Japan, it's like they rock that country to its core. (laughs) No one knows. And basically you're presented with all these, like, Japanese, with all these Japanese gangsters, most of which would be, like, the badass, awesome, fucked-up criminal of their own story, of their own story, in, like, a different, in, like, a different universe, but in Black, in the universe of Black Lagoon, they're just fucking punks. They're just, like, Dick, they're just like dick bags, idiots who don't know which way is up, and they make it really clear. And the female characters of that arc, not only not only Revy and Belenka, but later on a high school girl who is the heir to like a yakuza, the who is like, the heir to a Yakuza household, basically drives this... Not just basically, but... truly drives the story and move it forward. They make the decisions that shape... that shape the lives of everybody involved in the story. Balanka chooses to do something. Everybody everybody goes along with it. Revy wants to do something. Rock supports her. A, the high school girl wants to do something. Um, I forget his name. The the like this badass old school yakuza samurai is like right there, just like we're doing it, miss. Let's go. And that's and that's really a that's really unique. B it's really kind of awesome to see and kind of awesome to see that a show that is so well that is so well made and clearly want to have an on, honest conversation about like bad people and the way they live it's just like at least it's inclusionary with all of its bad people it's not trying to say like oh this is yakuza town and this has to be like a Yakuza embed town in like the Southeast Pacific and everybody here is Japanese. It's like, no. Here's a black guy. Here's a Russian lady. Here's a Chinese guy. Here's a Chinese lady. Here's a like Filipino dude who owns a bar. Here's a Spanish murder maid. Here's a tiny Spanish apprentice murder maid. Here's a Spanish... Here's a 
Spanish heir to a rich family. All of these things are like integral to the show in a way that you can't change, and they are really important. So, with that said, if you like this episode, which has run a little long, about by about thirteen minutes, um. Please subscribe and tell your friends and leave me a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to this podcast. It's probably just about everywhere now. Um, but I have been Alex, and this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk to you next time.